With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to Nature-backed podcast of Singular. In this podcast, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I am talking with Michael Langut, co-founder of Climate Tech Venture Builder, or for more traditional audience, a kind of accelerator, Carbon 13. Enjoy the show. Hi, Michael. G- great to have you on the show. Hi, I'm very happy to be here. Um, and thank you very much for, for inviting me. Let's talk a little bit about the Carbon 13. The uh, Where does the number come from? Um, so Carbon 13 is an isotope um, that is found in tree rings. And basically, it's uh, an increase of that isotope is one of the first proof points that um, basically climate change is in line with um, the sort of industrial revolution and therefore it can be seen can be proven that it's anthropogenic uh, of nature so yeah that's why we are we're carbon 13 is that we we think that you know we we created this mess and we should fix it and we have the tools to fix it and and we want to help with that also carbon 13 13 is the uh the fir- 13th uh a sustainable development goal is uh, climate change. So there's another another reason why 13. What do you do, guys? What What is Carbon 13 in addition to the scientific background? Yeah. So basically, Carbon 13 is the venture builder for the climate emergency. We are the first um, venture builder that is helping people that have made the decision they want to start a climate startup, but they don't yet have a co-founder or they don't yet have a full team. It's often also times that we have uh, pre-formed teams, a team of two developers, a team of two technical people, a team of two commercial people uh, who have decided we want to start something together and maybe have even started working on on the first sort of iteration uh, of the business. And we, through our program, help them find other co-founders and then validate that business idea. We then invest in uh, some of the startups, uh, so a subset of the startups that presented get created. And uh, we then work with the ones that we have invested in for another four months and help them basically through a more of an accelerator type model, um, increase the the customer adoption, customer traction, get ready for further investment, build out their product. But also for us, it's very important, obviously, to make sure that they really understand the theory of change and how impact will be created uh, in terms of carbon emissions. So maybe mentally one could compare it to accelerator where there's also investment element included or yeah. okay yeah very much um so i guess there's um there's sort of three sides to come 13 there's um the venture builder program that helps people find a co-founder and helps them get on the journey of starting their business and then help them start their business there's a fund so we invest um, $150,000 uh, roughly per startup in, in about 12 startups every six months. So we do about 24 uh, investments, pre-seed investments a year in the UK. 
Um, and then finally, there's the carbon 13 sort of uh, mark of quality of um, climate intelligence and climate knowledge. So the, the startups that we work with, the one thing that we really want to make sure is that they are not, there's no greenwashing. They really understand, again, the, the fear of change. They understand their impact. And they, they can make sure that that impact is the business model that they're pursuing is the best possible business model to achieve that impact. What kind of teams you take in? Um, it varies, I guess. It can be, we have three very broad categories of people. So there's uh, technical people that then sort of breaks down into software engineers, chemical engineers, bioscientists, food scientists, uh, mechanical engineers. And that's roughly half of the cohort will be will be technical. The other half comes from either industry, what we call um, venture catalysts, so people that really have um, existing connections to to an industry and therefore can be a catalyst for a business in a certain space. And finally, commercial co-founders that can be anybody from from a, somebody from a startup background, a second-time founder, which we actually see more and more, but also people that. Um, come from a consulting background, from an investment banking background, and so on. Mm. The uh, how many teams have graduated? Um, we have now invested in uh, twenty teams, mm-hmm. um, and and you asked like what kind of teams? So maybe mm-hmm. that there's yeah. a, there's a as helpful to say. So the the areas that we invest in um, is net zero materials and chemicals. So we've invested in uh, in four teams in that space. One is called Materials Nexus, which is an AI um, platform to discover new materials to help, for example, the automotive industry uh, to come up with lighter materials to make cars or electric cars easier, um, but also in a company called BioZerox who um, basically have uh, building or coming up with a new type of concrete that um, is basically carbon negative, which would be hugely impactful. So generally, we look at startups that have the potential um, to reduce global carbon emission by 10 million tons. The two that I've just mentioned, they have the potential to go a lot, lot, lot further. Yeah. Uh, and the total addressable carbon that they have as a business is, is a lot further. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so net zero materials, net zero transport, where we've done a few investments, net zero energy, um, uh, and then enabling sort of platforms, that's green tech platforms, fintech, green fintech platforms or carbon markets, uh, logistics, these kind of things. And finally, net zero food systems. So mm-hmm. we've done actually quite a few in- investments in sort of net zero food, both from sort of the production of food at the agricultural space to um, how the food gets then consumed to how uh, we protect the crops actually further already and then how up until the point where the food might get discarded and then how do we deal with food waste. Mm. The uh, net zero is of course a weird concept. I mean it's basically the logic that I pu- pollute as much as I want to and then I buy the indulgences and then <laughs> my net is zero, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's obviously the the negative way of thinking of seeing this, but the truth is, it's not going to be possible. Um, if if you think of the math, it's not possible for us to sequester so much carbon through nature-based solutions or things like direct air capture um, mm. that we don't have to reduce the other bits. The truth is, we're not going to be able to do. Um, there's a lot of very hard to decarbonize sectors, like for example, concrete or steel production or yeah others um but we have to bring down 
every single one of them to a certain percentage by 2030 and then we have to bring them down to zero by 2050 and then actually on top of that we have to sequester a lot of carbon because of the historical carbon that's already in the atmosphere we have to bring that down as well otherwise um yeah we're looking at uh, very catastrophic um <laughs> possible outcomes but the truth is there's a lot of great innovation happening and there's a lot of great people working on this and we see so many amazing people that basically have made some money maybe with a startup or in a corporate career and they have kids and they now say well actually the next thing that i do has to be in climate change because otherwise i can't look my kids in the eyes anymore and and i can very much relate to that and but that means there's a lot of great people going and working now on this problem mm. I think I think often we see the challenge, of course, that uh, you know, if uh, people are starting to work on it today, we've uh, I don't know how to put it uh, politely, but we've kind of uh, fucked up the mm. climate uh, pretty badly over the last decades, and mm. maybe in twenty years or ten years, when the, these guys have a solution, it could be a little bit too late. Yeah. And, and I think, um, and I think that's a very valid way of of seeing the world. It's somewhat pessimistic, I guess. Like I come from a startup background, mm. and and startups, yes, startups take time to scale, right? Um, sort of, you know, three to five years to ten years. But then we do have startups that can scale a lot faster, and oftentimes mm. they do things that are not as valuable for humanity. If we can st- scale climate startups as fast as we've been st- um, scaling other tech startups, then we have a very good shot at um, at solving some of these really big problems. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the truth is, I think that's why we now will find a solution where we didn't find a solution in the past, because maybe sometimes in the past, it was a very academic discussion, like does climate change exist or not? Now you have entrepreneurs building businesses where they see and they have proven value with with customers. It's a lot of B2B uh, problems that are being solved. And those those entrepreneurs, they don't really care about the exact science of what we should do. They, they would just try to, you know, have the impact that they want to have and have that as fast as possible. And, and I think that is really changing the game right now. Mm. I'm not horribly uh, pessimistic, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But the, uh, you know, I've, I've worked as a journalist for a long time, so cynicism is, you know, it runs in the veins, uh, yeah. so to say, and it's part of the part of the logic, even even though I've been in a startup scene for a while now. Mm. The um, somehow I had to explain my <coughs> logic. The uh, <laughs> the what what's your vision about the kind of uh, taking the carbon thirteen forward? I mean, now uh, twenty first investments have been made. Uh, how do you kind of plan to plan to grow the the carbon empire? Yeah, I mean we're very. It's a very exciting year for us because, yeah, as as you just said, we've now done twenty investments, a lot of them from Quad One. Um, the vast majority now are actually revenue generating, and seventy five percent also have. I think it's about that same number, seventy five percent. Seventy five percent of the Quad One startups have now raised follow on funding. And are preparing for a bigger funding round uh, later this year. So that's a very exciting time for us to see those startups um, sort of progress. And, and I'm personally helping them quite a lot. And, and the whole team is, is helping them quite a lot on all angles. And then our second cohort, um, we've seen them actually raise money faster because I think partially we have some great founders in there, but also our community of 
of support or supporting community of other investors is um you know coming closer to to our startups early on um and then our next cohort is starting our third cohort is starting next week um and there's some phenomenal founders in there um the other big thing is that we will be launching a berlin cohort uh next year we do see some inertia in european or eu-based founders coming to the uk uh or generally it's it's i guess some people want to you know start a business where they are and and so we're coming to berlin um to where we see a huge potential in terms of the number of people wanting to work on climate solutions but maybe coming up with sort of uh, yeah solutions that have some impact but very um, very minor impact like some kind of e-commerce uh, helping e-commerce companies reducing their returns i mean yes it's a good thing to do but it's not really what we need to solve climate change um and yeah so we're going to berlin and we're also uh raising a larger fund uh to be able to invest with our startups ongoing um so yeah all of these things are happening and um yeah we're very excited about it uh, the uh i mean it's interesting the dilemma with uh you know coming from brexit back around i assume that mm. you kind of have to go to the europe right yeah i mean it's unfortunate um as a european in london i, I have mm. to say it was a, it was a dark day um when it was announced and i was quite um astonished and, and and disbelieving for for quite a while the truth is um the uk startup scene is is ha- as healthy as ever i think mm. the i think the people that are being hit worst by the by the results are not necessarily startup people even though you know finding finding employees is harder than it was before but then i hear the same thing from friends in the us or friends in germany that finding good employees or yeah is is difficult so i'm not sh- it's it's difficult to say where exactly yeah. the impact is uh, especially in uh, in our space mm. uh, i want to want to go back a little bit you were saying how how ideally the carbon startups could scale as fast as the some of the tech startups i was just mm. having a chat with uh, one of the venture capitalists who was saying that uh, carbon startups take so much time they don't really fit into the classical venture capital model of you know 10 year funds and everything has to be has to happen during that 10 year time frame um what's the is there something changing uh, are there what gives you hope that the carbon startups could scale as fast as I don't know mobility startups. Mm. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 one of the sad things that I would I always find yeah incredibly sad if you look at clean tech investments and people talk about mobility and then they bring in like the investments of uh, the ten minute delivery companies and I mean that's really not a clean tech startup. But um, mm. um, I do think. So I guess one, what's the main difference between clean climate tech and and normal sort of software startups? Um, it's that like climate tech isn't just software. We also have we have to have uh, hardware solutions. Like one of our startups, they have a way to recycle carbon fiber, which as of right now is not being recycled, which is terrible because it's an amazing material that can help us again make cars and planes lighter, so that we can electrify that type of transport. Um, but yeah, so these kind of things they they need more money upfront, and they also need more time upfront of research and um, sort of that R and D process is probably something that needs to be added on onto onto that timeline because yeah we we actually have oftentimes people come to us 
where there's a scientific founder and they have made a certain in, uh, um, innovation, they've come up with something new, and now they're looking to sort of commercialize that. And that's actually the time when, when they talk to us. And at that point, it can scale very, very quickly. Like you can, there's, there's a lot more knowledge in the VC scene now that um, how to work with hardware startups and biotech startups. Um, I think um, that kind of knowledge though has to, has to become sort of more widely spread. Uh, there is still a lot of climate tech startups that will only invest in software. And I think that's, that's a bit of a fallacy. fallacy. You, can't, you can't be a climate, start, climate VC and just invest in, in software. You have to do some of the hard problems uh, as well. But they, they can be incredibly profitable. If you look at the first uh, sort of wave of climate tech um, in the early 2000s, those companies have actually become very valuable. Uh, it's just a different, slightly different timescale. Um, and if you think of some private companies staying private longer, then actually that sort of fits into that same timeline where you, private companies might um, might take 15 years, but then become very, very profitable or mm. very, very valuable. Mm. Uh, I was thinking the one of the uh, kind of potential challenges you mentioned is science uh, and the research and all that part, which could take time for some of those climate tech startups. I have to say that I've seen actually also scientist teams working in a in a horribly different speed inside startup when compared to their you know academia. Mm. Yeah, I mean academia is um, can be can be quite slow sometimes, <laughs> which is again why I mean I find yeah I find it very interesting because we work very closely with uh, different uh, different parts of Cambridge University and, and other universities around the UK mm. and. But now we're trying to do the same in in Germany and 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 sort of uh, wider um, continent to Europe. But um, I think it's one of the opportunities is to, to to take maybe some academics that that have seen actually if I keep doing this research for another five years, ten years, yes, I can I can you know get paid for that very well and I have a nice job. But the truth is, if I work on something that should impact climate change you should commercialize it now. Like you need to find a way to find a program like Carbon 13 or find a co-founder outside of that um, and, and start having that impact, work on that sort of the commercialization, the, the actually making it a reality now. Um, because yeah, it's, it's, otherwise it's too late. Mm, otherwise it's too late. That's a, that's a you know, good and strong point. If you if you look at the uh, you know com- climate tech companies applying to carbon thirteen or or kind of growing inside the carbon thirteen, uh, how do you how do you see the kind of trends or sectors? You you were uh, kind of splitting the companies earlier a little bit. Some of them were mm-hmm. doing materials and some were some other stuff. Uh, is there some strong trends within the climate tech uh, world which you know should be mentioned? Um, I I mean I think there's a there's a huge list of opportunities. Um, if anybody, any of the listeners, if you want to to find a really good list of of what to work on, there's a company. Uh, there's a book called Speed and Scale um, by John Doerr. Um, he's sort of writing OKRs for for climate change and and going through each of the emitting sectors and, and, and talking about how much we need to to shift and and there's 
there's a lot there's a lot of opportunities there's a lot of opportunities in b2b right a lot of big corporate corporates have committed from a strategic point of view to net zero somewhere between 2030 and 20 2050 but very few of them have all the solutions to to those uh, you know to make that a reality so startups that have a solution on helping reduce energy helping reduce um sort of emissions in in some way shape or form to a big corporate they can know that like that corporate has made a strategic decision to do this so uh, they will find they will they will find open doors and i would strongly recommend looking at b2b opportunities obviously there's a lot to be done in in the way we produce and consume food there's a lot to be done in the way we um reuse and recycle any kind of material from from a again in a b2b context but also in a b2c context um we have to electrify everything. We have to make all electricity green. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot to be done. Uh, yeah, and especially in you know parts of Europe, uh, turning the electricity green these days is is actually like very high also on the agenda of the mm-hmm. politicians, right? Yeah, I mean it's 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 the best way to um, make ourselves independent of. Um, boats and autocratic regimes around the world that you know have power over us if we have to buy oil from a from a company from a company from a person from a country then they will have power over us right mm-hmm. and um if we if we get it from the sun or the the wind <laughs> it's a it's a very different story and mm-hmm. it's it's also for free and it's also cheaper i mean that's the most amazing thing in this is that um it's sh- switching costs right and mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that have um gain right now still from from not switching but um generally uh solar power is now the cheapest energy out there um actually onshore wind is, is the cheapest uh, uh electricity out there and then solar and solar the 20 um i think there's a there's a rule uh, that with every doubling of capacity like uh, production capacity we go down 20 percent in uh, in price so over the next few years, there's no way that anything can be in any possible way cheaper than solar. And um, we just have to then find ways to roll out that electricity um, in, in different places and then use it. And obviously, there's a lot of other things that have to be solved around sort of how to store that energy and how to um, yeah, work on, on bringing that into the right place. But uh, there's only one way, in my opinion, and um, we should have done this a lot earlier again, but... Um, I'm I'm not one to to dwell on the past. Yeah, yeah. Your stop your startup background speaking there. I can I can <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the uh, the ba- basically if you would be an you know, eager founder with a, without an idea in uh, in this uh, summer of 2022, one should launch an alternative energy startup. Um, I mean, there's. There's a lot of um, companies that do um, that help, for example, solar as a service, sort of like solar energy as a service. And and I think there's still places in this world where you can launch that same business model and just do it in Kenya or do it in. Um, I know a friend of a friend who's doing it in Spain right now. I mean, um, which feels like a very obvious place where there's so much sun. Um, but also Germany and like many other places around the world. Um, I think I would um, try to engage with the community. If I was a eager founder, I would apply to Kamsa team, mm-hmm, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, I would um, 
read those books like speed and scale is a good one um uh the ministry of the future is another good one there's there's a lot of obviously a lot of great literature out there there's a lot of great newsletters around climate tech startups and um again i guess we're coming out of covid restrictions so there surely will be um will be meetups again and so on yes there will be meetups again i i've been already attending a few and we will have a bunch of conference startup conferences coming up in starting from next week until the you know t- deep into the summer mm. every, every week there are some big events in europe the having the next uh, in between period between the covid uh, variants right mm. <laughs> <laughs> what the optimist thing you got you, know, you got to do what you you, you know got to take what you get Yes, exactly, exactly. Um okay, we spoke about uh, carbon 13 about the future a little bit. We spoke a little bit about the kind of climate tech scene in general. Uh maybe one kind of uh I don't know, overall question about the carbon the um talking to many people in this sector are kind of getting a feeling that uh carbon is the, you know, the the red hot uh, sector of the startup world at the moment where Uh, and I mean hot by you know pun intended and literally uh but the uh do you see the same is the, is there you know could have you couldn't you wouldn't you be as happy to launch i don't know SaaS 13 for their b2b sales or something like that mm. and i mean i should say carbon and um, when we talk about 10 million tons we talk about CO2e so mm-hmm. it that includes Excellent. methane yeah. like we have a startup that uh, called blue methane that works on uh, methane um capture and and reduction um that which is a super super important topic to work on um would i do something else uh, no i mean i would really i would really uh, i i think like every smart person should work on either climate mitigation or climate adaptation um like working on on f- trying to prevent whatever possible way we can still prevent climate change obviously it's already underway underway but like try to minimize um the impact but also then finding ways to help the world adapt to the change that will already happen that will happen because of what happened in the past um i think i think those are the two most important things to work on obviously there's there's other areas like health and um other sort of social impact topics um but for me the the one the most urgent one is this and actually it's it's also the best the biggest business opportunity uh that we will have in the next decade or two so if if you like money you should also do it if you like impact you should do it and if you care about um uh your your maybe your grandchildren or your children um because the <laughs> there is the the bad things happening it's not uh it's not 100 years away it's uh it's more like 30 no. years away huh? like okay. so uh it's your kids not your not your grandchildren exactly thanks michael i think the uh so was a nice call to action to anybody who wants to change the world uh thank you and uh good luck with our carbon 13 efforts Cool. thank you uh yeah thank you very much for having us uh, having me uh on the on the podcast um also like just want to say that um we we're, we're running these um investor angel investor funds so whoever mm-hmm. if anybody wants to invest into our startups um please reach out to me 
Uh, also, we have a community showcase day coming up on the 24th of May in Cambridge. Again, if you want to attend that, you can you can send me a message uh, to michael at carbon13.com. And um, otherwise, yeah, have a look on our website and apply and join us um, on our journey. Great. Uh, good uh, call to action to end the show. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Thank Bye. You. Cheers. Bye-bye. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.